Good morning, church. How's everyone doing? Hope you're doing well. Um, so uh, we have been going through the book of Nehemiah, and now we're in chapter two. So previously in the book of Nehemiah, uh, Nehemiah is in the capital of Persia, and he hears that his people 700 miles away in Jerusalem are living in disgrace. Their, their city walls are broken down and their gates are destroyed by fire. And their faith is weak and morale is low. And so they're living in ruins. Now, Nehemiah, Nehemiah loves his people so much that his heart just breaks and he weeps and he weeps and he fasts and he prays for four months. Now, after four months of waiting on God, he finally knows what God is calling him to do. God is calling him to put his entire life down on the line. You see, Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king. He was someone that the king trusted with his very life. And so at the end of four months of waiting on God, he prays, Oh, Lord, Give me mercy in the sight of this man. Now, this man is King Artaxerxes. Now, let me tell you a little bit about King Artaxerxes. Here, here's a little backstory. Um, Arta, Artaxerxes, his father was killed by someone he thought that he could trust, someone who worked in security. Now, naturally, Artaxerxes put this person to death along with his entire family. I think he had seven sons, okay? Now, guess what department Nehemiah works in? Security. Okay, so um, there's a lot of line here. Let's see how this goes, okay? Now, Nehemiah comes up with a plan. Today, he's going to see the king. All right, now just look at my face, all right? This is his dangerous plan. He's going to show up in front of the king and he is going to do this. All right, now my wife makes fun of me. She says, I have a very big frown. He's going to do this. Um, now he's a cupbearer and cupbearers, when they serve the king his wine, you're not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to frown. You're not supposed to look sad. You're supposed to smile. I mean, you're in the presence of a great person. So you're supposed to be happy. And um, Nehemiah's like, I'm not going to be happy. I'm going to frown. <laughs> and, um, and if the king looks at my frown and asks me what is wrong, I'm going to open my mouth and I'm going to tell him all the trouble that my people are going through. Okay. So Nehemiah is like, I know what happened with the person who betrayed the king's family. I know there might be an issue in terms of trust, but my people are worth the risk. So there's a lot of tension in this moment. Let's find out what happens. Chapter 2, verse 1. In the month of Nisan, or Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, 
I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now, I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, let the king live forever. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? So I prayed to the God of heaven. And I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. And the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone? And when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. Now, I I want you to imagine Nehemiah saying, oh, you know, thank you, great king, you know, bowing respectfully. But inside he's going, (laughs) you know, uh, you know, like (laughs) um, uh, a a few things I want you to notice. Uh, First thing is a, a lesson on prayer. And then two more uh, lessons on leadership. Okay. First of all, Nehemiah has just prayed for four months. Um, he, he doesn't need to pray anymore, right? I mean, he prayed for four months. Um, so imagine Nehemiah maybe thinking, God, from here on out, I got this, right? Wrong. For four months, Nehemiah relied on God, and now when he's ready to act, he is still relying on God. The king says, what are you requesting? And then time freezes, you know, and his life is hanging on the very balance. And he gives something called a 911 prayer. Um which which means like right there on the spot, um, he 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 realizes I can't do this without God's help, and so he doesn't take a long time to do this, but it's a very quick. Oh God, please help me right now! I can't do this without you, and um, so a nine one one prayer is where you bring God right into the moment in prayer, and you can do that right before you give an important presentation. You, you can do that right before you ask her to marry you. <laughs> you can do that in the middle of a test. You can do that in the middle of an interview. Um, I had a mentor and we're in this important meeting. And right in this important meeting, he goes like this. He, he, he goes like this. He, he turns his palm up like this. And I'm like, what are you doing? You know? And he's like, I'm asking God for help. And I'm like, should I be asking God for help too? And he's like, yeah. (laughs) Um, 
A 911 prayer. Okay, and two leadership lessons. First of all, notice that Nehemiah was prepared. He knew what to ask for when the king asked him, um, what do you need? Notice he didn't say, well, I don't know. You know, let me do some research and I'll get back to you. He was boom. He's ready. He's like, this is what I need. And I would like for you to send me. I would like materials of wood. And then I would like letters for safe passage. He knew what he needed. Now notice Nehemiah had a bold and strategic ask. Uh, let me hear you say bold. Let me hear you say strategic. This is the power for asking boldly and knowing the right thing to ask. Um, this is like one spouse asking another spouse. Um, one thing I'm asking you for, let's go to counseling. You know, a bold and strategic ask or, or please, I'm asking you every day to be available for family dinners, you know. Or it was my friend who asked um, her mother to stop smoking. You know, it's a bold ask. Um, recently, my wife asked our entire family to once a week do a screen fast, like a Sabbath from the screen. So once, once, one day a week, uh, no computer, no smartphone, no YouTube, no TV. And so, um, cause you know, she was noticing that we're always on our screens at school, at work for fun. And it's getting even worse because of shelter in place. And so she asked our family to consider one day a week with no screens and so the family all got together and we voted and we said, no, we, we, <laughs> we're not willing to. No, I'm just kidding. We voted and we said, okay, we'll give it a try. And on that day, I have never heard so much whining, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> finally, my, my wife had to ask me to stop. Okay, I'm, I'm joking. But, um, but this day showed all of us just how addicted we are to our screens and it encouraged us to develop other forms of rest. But, you, but and so it was, it was a really good um, discovery and a really good experience, but it all started with my wife being willing to give us a bold and strategic ask. So um, do you need to make a bold and strategic ask? Now, um, <clears throat> to know what to ask for seems to make all the difference. And people wonder, well, how do you know what to ask for? How do you know what the one thing is? Now, Nehemiah waited on God in prayer for four months, and then he knew what to ask for. Did he do some research? Yeah, probably. Did he talk to experts? Yeah, probably. But one thing we knew that he did do was he prayed for four months and waited on God. Uh, a lot of times people don't ask because they think, well, you know, I already know the person will say no. Well, you don't know that. It's only by asking will you give opportunity for people to respond to the request. You don't know until you ask. So consider a bold and strategic ask. So now continuing the scripture. Verse 11. So I went to Jerusalem 
and was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. And I took no one, I told no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There, there was no animal with me, but the one on which I rode. I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went on to the fountain gate and to the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up into the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered by the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing. And I, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in? How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned? Come, let us Build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision. And I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for the good work. Now, I want you to imagine this scene, okay? Um, Nehemiah, Nehemiah gathers a few men together. He says, okay, men, hey, get up. Um, come with me. Come with me. And they, they must have said, like, where to? And, and just imagine Nehemiah saying, well, come, come, and you'll see. So they're, they're riding on their horses, and he goes to the valley gate. And, you know, the men, are, the men are like, yeah, we've been here before, nothing new. And then he goes to the dung gate. You know, the dung gate is where they throw out their, you know, you get the idea. And so there, there are these gates, and you imagine they're all burned down, just like burnt to a, you know, piles of rubble. And these men are looking at Nehemiah. They're thinking, why are we here? And they see Nehemiah's face, just just, you know, he's shaking his head, you know, uh, the devastation. And they just, you know, hear like deep sighs as he's, you know, looking around just, oh, man, oh, right? And, and then you see Nehemiah inspecting the walls, piles of stone and rubble and soot and ash, more devastation. You know, just imagine like walking through the remains of the Twin Towers and they look at Nehemiah's and all the blood has been drained out of his face and suddenly they see it. Suddenly they see what Nehemiah came to show them. I mean, it's not like they haven't seen it before, but now they're seeing it with new eyes. Now, those walls, I'll tell you, those walls have been broken down for like 140 years, okay? So they were broken down when the Jews first got there. They were broken down the week after they got there, the month after. Now, after a while... You just don't even see those broken walls anymore. You know what I'm talking about? It's like some of us, you know, during shelter in place, our, our house, 
has gotten so messy, you know, so messy. And after a while, you just don't even see the mess anymore. You're like, what mess, you know? And then maybe one day out of the blue, you, you, you hear this, um, you know, ding dong uh, at the door and you, 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 you go and you open the front door and there's a friend from church doing a sweet encounter or something. And they're looking inside your house and suddenly for the first time, you're kind of seeing through their eyes, you're like, oh my gosh, we are living in squalor, you know? Um, uh, we, had a, we had a young person from our church come and live with us for a month. And um, during this time, uh, someone asked him uh, and, and said, hey, what did you learn about Pastor Andrew's family? What did you learn about the family? And... Um, so I was nearby and somehow I just started to lean into this conversation because it was sounding very interesting. And so Stephen, this person was Stephen, Stephen said a few nice things about us. And so I, I kind of say to Chris, hey, Stephen, um, hey, just, hey, be honest. And he goes, well, um, one thing I observed is that Andrew and Raina, like in a conversation, will interrupt each other. And I was like, you get out of my house. You know, <laughs> no. Um, I was like, really? Do we, do we really do that? Is that true? Do we really do that? I mean, if that's true that we do that, that's awful. And then I realized, then the light bulb went on. I would realize, oh my gosh, Raina does do that to me. You know, <laughs> uh, um, I am totally kidding. Okay. Now, so I shared this with Raina. And said, hey, you know, um, observation was made that we kind of interrupt each other. And then, um, and then we thought about it and we realized, oh my goodness, we do do that. And that is totally not okay. That is, that is a really bad habit. I mean, honestly, I think she kind of picked it up from me and my side of the family. And she realized that the only way she's going to survive is she needs to just interrupt us. Um, but there it was. I mean, it was like we were, it was always there, but we just didn't notice it. And now when, when someone had brought it up, we felt new motivation to change it. Church family, is there something in your life that you know, you know, it's not right, but maybe enough time has gone by and you, you just got used to it being there to the point where you just don't even see it anymore. Uh, maybe, maybe it's your marriage. Maybe you have a kid that's on the wrong path. Maybe it's the way that you treat your parents. Or maybe it's your relationship with your, your in-law. Maybe it's someone that you haven't reconciled with and you know that's not right given the amazing gospel of Jesus Christ that you have, you know? Maybe it's addiction to something. Maybe it's addiction to, to pornography. And maybe you've just stopped fighting for purity. Or maybe it's a, a bad habit, like, you, you know, you're always on your phone, you're always on a screen, or you're always texting instead of really paying attention to the people who are right in front of you. Or maybe it's like you fly off the handle when you're angry and you know that's not right. Or maybe you've been working way too hard for way too long and you need better boundaries. 
like better walls, <laughs> you know, um, between work and rest. Maybe your prayer life is dry or, or maybe it's more like, you know, there's, there's so many people suffering from COVID-19, especially people of color. And you're just like, oh, that's not right. You know, what is something in your life or in the life of your community that you know is not right, but you just got got used to it being there? And what would happen if for the next moment you just pause and you ask the Holy Spirit to show you what you need to see? So that's what I like to do. I like for us to just a moment, 30 seconds, just pause and, and ask the Holy. I'm going to put a prayer on the screen and just you can just say, God, is there a broken wall that you want me to see with new eyes? And just listen, and, and maybe the Holy Spirit will whisper something and show you something. Okay, so let's just take 30 seconds and just, just have a reflective prayer. Go ahead and do that. Now, <clears throat> if you didn't hear the Holy Spirit speak to you just then, that's okay. There's other opportunities for him to speak to you and maybe actually through other people. Uh, what if you turn to someone that you trust, someone who can speak the truth to you in love and just ask this person, you know, hey, is there a broken wall in my life that you see that needs to be fixed? Or maybe it's more communal. Is there a broken wall in our lives that you think needs to be fixed? And just don't say anything and just listen and see how they respond. Now, Nehemiah says to all this, all his men, he says, you see the trouble we are in. He says, you see, do you see, do, do you see? Now, imagine Nehemiah looks right into the eyes of his men or like, and through them to our eyes, right into our eyes. And he says four words straight from his heart. He says, come, let us build, let us build. Now, Nehemiah doesn't say it here, but he virtually says it all over the place, which is, Remember who God is. And if you think of the, the whole council of scripture, in the first chapter of Ephesians, the first chapter of Ephesians basically says that the power that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside us, is at work inside us. And God has promised that he is with us and that he will never leave us. And Romans 8 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? Church family, in light of all this, 
that resurrection power is at work inside you and God is for you. You can do this. We can do this. And so Nehemiah says, come on, let us build. Let us rebuild. Let us build this marriage. Let us rebuild this broken relationship with our kids or with our parents. Let us, let us build and fix, by God's grace, this broken relationship. Come, let us build. We have all the power and all the resources that we need to reconcile in the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can do this. Come, let us, let us build. Let us fight for purity. Uh, let us fight against all these addictions. Let us build a strong prayer life again. Come, let us build. Let us build. Resurrection power is at work inside us. Life is short and God's power is great. Come, let us build, Nehemiah says. I will always remember this story when Raina and I were married. We attended a marriage conference called A Weekend to Remember, and it was co-taught by a marriage counselor, you know, just like Raina. And he shared this one story that really stirred us. Um, he was counseling this couple uh, that was suffering from just years and years of neglect in their marriage, just years and years of neglect. And it got so bad that during the counseling time, for the first time, the wife confessed to having an affair. And the man hearing this for the first time was just, as you can imagine, just devastated. I mean, so devastated. I mean, he knew that the marriage was broken, but he didn't know how broken it was. And so he just like during this session, he just broke down and just started weeping and just started crying. And then finally, after his tears, the counselor said to him, well, what are you going to do? And then he looked at his wife. And then he looked at the counselor. And he said, I'll, I'll tell you what I want to do. He says, I want to fight for my marriage. And he looked at his wife and he said, I want to fight for you. And the wife was just so in tears and, and he was in tears and the counselor was in tears. Church family, our walls may be broken, but God is with us. And we have the power of the gospel and resurrection power is at work inside us. So you got these broken walls. What are we going to do? And Nehemiah says, come, let us build. Pray with me. Dear Father, I pray that you would give us the courage and the faith. Even though in the middle of seeing these broken walls, maybe even for the first time, give us the courage and faith to know we have resurrection power at work inside us. Give us new faith, newfound faith, to know that it can be done by your grace and by your power. Help us to work on things with new courage, 
with new sight from heaven. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.